While I think of Father's Day, I really want to honor the greatest father in all, of all. And I've been thinking a lot about that, Father God. What an amazing father. And um, what an amazing father of love, mercy, and grace that loves us so much. And what he did for us and has given for us. And, and um, always come to the scripture. I mean, you say, Lord, are there any other scriptures that could encapsulate this better? And there's no better scripture than John 16, 316. And I just want to read this to you quickly and just meditate on it a little bit and we'll see how far we go. For, it says, for God so loved the world. And I was thinking about that. Uh, we sung a song about the scandal of grace and Phil Yancey, an amazing author, wrote a book on that, and it's well worth writing. If you're not going to only read my stuff to get that book on top of the other books. But um, an incredible, an incredible thought when you think that God loves the world. And when he's talking, he's not talking about the created world, the planet, and, and, so, and it's a beautiful world we live in. He's talking about people. And I was just thinking about this uh, and the, the absolute amazing thing that you think of the world today and the billions of people. Some are very good people and some are extremely terrible people doing extremely terrible things to people, to children, wars, um, people doing things in the name of religion uh, that are incredibly bad. But God loves them as much as he loves you. And that's the scandal of grace. That's the amazing thing. He loves the world. Nobody is excluded from his love. And that changes a bit because often when we we think this, we think of the, the, the church and the people. But that person on death row needs to know about Jesus Christ and his love as much as the holiest saint It says that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I've said this often, but for those of you that may not have heard this or new to hear, that Christianity is for the whomsoever. Christianity is not an exclusive religion, as some people will say. Yes, there's only one door into the kingdom, and that's through Jesus Christ. But anyone who believes... Anyone, and that's any one of you, no matter where you've been, what you've done, uh, or what you may do in the future. You see, God is not interested in your future anymore. It's your, uh, in your past anymore. That is gone. He's forgiven you for that. It's your future that he has uh, in sight for you. And that those that believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's a consequence for not um, believing in Jesus. In fact, what the Word of God is saying is that if you don't believe in Him, you will perish and you will not spend eternity with God. And God gives us a choice. And it's an amazing thing about choice. It's, a, it's free will. It's the doctrine of free will that we can choose to either receive or reject Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I've often had... Um, conversations with people that get stuck on this. Why would God allow people to go to hell? 
Why does he allow that? And it's a very good question. Well, the, 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 the answer to that is that because he gives us a free will. And God is a God of love. And relationship is based on free will. If you are married to somebody and you have to put a gun to their head to make them do stuff for you or beat them or all of that or force them, I guarantee they will do it. And more than likely better than they would if you weren't beating them. Out of fear. Fear for their lives. Fear for their children. Mothers do most incredible things to protect their children. Forced to love. And God is not like that. The opposite side is a free will relationship where you choose to love each other. God has chosen you. And in this divine romance that he has with you, he has given you a choice to choose him. And in you making that choice, you become the chosen one. If you reject him, you're not a chosen one. It's like a relationship. You see a beautiful uh, young lady that you want to marry, and you, it's so wonderful being at weddings, and the guys talk about that day when they got down on their knee and they asked their wife to marry her or something like that, whatever they did, their hearts are going like this. Because in that moment, she can choose not to. Say, what the heck? Get up. <laughs> you know? And therefore, she's not the chosen one for you. It's her choice. So God gives us all a choice. Whomsoever believe in him will not perish. will spend eternity with him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But to save the world through him. God wants relationship broken by sin, restored. And to do that, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We sing this song. We sung a lot about grace today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What incredible words. The thing is, God does not want this to be the best kept secret in the world. He does not want it to be a Sunday event. He does not want it to be a Christian club. He wants us to be his ambassadors to take this love. So other blind people can see too. You see, many of us are aware and familiar with God's saving grace. And I was going to read Ephesians 2, chapter 1 to 10. And if you want to make a note of that, I encourage you to read it. It's one of the most freeing passages where um, the Apostle Paul under the anointing speaks about um, before we knew Christ and what we do deserved before of that. And it says, but because of his great love for us, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ Jesus when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Grace cannot be earned. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of God extending a way for us through Son Jesus Christ to come into relationship with Him. We are not saved by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We cannot save ourselves. God gave us ten commandments. And if you read through all of those, you're going to more than likely check most of them. Broken, 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 broken. Ten. And in Galatians, it says that God gave the law for this purpose. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. It was a mirror to say, if you can't keep these, then you cannot save yourself. Therefore, I'll send my son to save you for free. The law was put in charge, not to be a rod on our backs, but to, to open our hearts and our life to say, yes, I'm a sinner, and I need the grace and mercy of God. But out of that, we are called to work for him. And how do we work for him? Matthew 25, a cup of water in my name. A visit in hospital, a comfort of a friend, a cloak, too close, give one, uh, helping pregnant mothers at this very stage that are in the valley of decision on whether they will keep that baby. Crisis Pregnancy Center Church is one of the most incredible ministries in the city as far as I'm concerned because they give women options and they help them and they support them, and they pay for their uh, baby's needs so that that little baby can be saved from death. And hopefully through that, a relationship with them leads them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. These are important things. These are friends at work who are struggling, going through the pain of a divorce or the pain of sickness and that. How, how would we do that without Jesus Christ? I'm not saying they will receive it, but by doing those things, you create an atmosphere in their lives that softens their heart for the Holy Spirit, the seed of the Word, to, to take root. And it takes time. And they might reject you and reject you and move on, Somebody else comes along, what is that seed? Somebody else, somebody else, and one day you're in heaven hanging out with Jesus and you see them coming, hey, it's me. That grouchy work, work colleague, I got saved. J.R. Packer, grace is not looking for good men to approve. Grace is looking for condemned and guilty men to save. We see this in the story of the prodigal son. A son who messed up badly. Go and read it, Luke 15. The lost son, the lost coin, and so on. He messed up badly. He asked his dad for his inheritance. He was so bored with life, and he wanted to go and party. 
Now in those days, like today, normally today, you only get an inheritance when the father dies. So what he was saying to his dad when he wanted to get his bucks, he says, you know what, I wish you were dead. Because I could have a party now instead of working with you. And the father in his grace gives him that inheritance. And we know the story. And he ends it up in a pigsty. A Hebrew boy working in a pigsty. Doesn't get worse than that. And he has this revelation. And he comes to his senses. And he wants to go home. But the sad part of the story, and the sad part of many of us, is that it was for easier for him to believe that his father would accept him back as a servant, go and read it, than believe that he would accept him as a son. And so many people come into the kingdom, squandered their lives, ate the pig food. I've got all those t-shirts, been there, done that, got those myself many years ago. And we live our lives thinking that we owe, that we continually owe. I'd rather I can serve God, I can serve God, and I'll do all of that kind of stuff. But can I love God? Can God love me? Am I a child of His? Am I a son of God? Or am I paying penance for the rest of my life as the enemy reminds me of the time I was with the pigs, of the time I was parting like that? And people walk with this limb, Christians, their whole lives. You sit with somebody and they say, yeah, I really wanted to do this with my life and I felt God was calling me and I was um, 20 years old or so, but I had such a bad life and now I'm 50 and I still feel I'm unworthy to do it. You see, grace sets us free. The gospel of grace So, we know, even though he went back as the servant, God restored him as a son. And God wants to restore you and restore us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, the wonderful news about grace, and this is just an oversight of grace in the little time I've got is not only is God's saving grace available to whomsoever, but also God's sanctifying and sustaining grace. Now those are big words. And we'll just talk a little bit about them. You see, there's the grace of God that sustains us daily. Hebrews 4 says we come to the throne of grace. When we come to the throne... We receive mercy, and then we find more grace to help us on. We don't get what we deserve. And there's this grace that we come daily to our Father, and we have a conversation with Him. He's not angry with us. His anger was satisfied in Jesus Christ on the cross. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that He is no longer angry with us. He is there cheering us on. He is here making a way for us so we can walk ahead of them. The the sustaining grace. It's the Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. And there's the grace that sanctifies and empowers us to live a Christian and life in a godly way. We have the Holy Spirit, the helper. 
that comes alongside us, that lives in, and helps us to, to, uh, in the process of transformation from where we are to a greater likeness of Christ. Enables us to overcome our trials and um, tribulations and enables us to forgive those who have hurt us. Unforgiveness is killing the church, let alone out there, killing the church, not letting go. But when we understand fully through the grace of God how much we are forgiven, that's when we can forgive, totally forgive. We're trying to forgive in our own strength and our own ability. And we have these moments of, of tenderness, and maybe one today, and somebody comes to mind, I've got to forgive them, I've got to forgive them. And you go and see them, and everything in you just goes like that. And you feel worse than when you started, although you've got the cheesy smile and the wave, and you're trying to dodge each other in aisles in small towns like this. But when we understand God's saving grace, saved a wretch like me, Saved a wretch like me, like me. Saved me, set me free. And when I meditate on that, and when I ask the Holy Spirit to help me soften my heart, He does it. We don't do it ourselves. He does it for us. We're in a partnership with God. And in this partnership, we bring 0%. And He brings 100%. Who wouldn't want to be a partnership with somebody like that? We bring all our debt, all our sin, all of that. You go and find a, a multimillionaire and you're in big debt and you, your life's a mess and say, hey, can we go in partnership? Well, what the guy says, what you got? I said, I've got all this debt and all of this stuff and I've messed my life up, but uh, I think I can do you good. No. But that's what God does. He takes all that stuff. All of our stuff. He puts it under the blood of Jesus. He forgives us. He sets us free. And he enters into a partnership where he gives us everything we need. Everything we need. The the question is, are we tapping into the resources of God? Or are we relying on ourselves? I just want you to imagine for a moment, as I thought of this in God's grace, Just imagine for one moment if God lifted his grace off our lives for one day. Just imagine. You see, grace is not cheap. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is there for when we do sin, not intentionally. Grace is not cheap. Grace cost God everything. Cost him his son, Jesus Christ. Death on the cross. It cost Jesus everything. Taking on a nature of a servant, Philippians 2, and become made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And he took all of our stuff, past, present, and future, and he has given us everything. And church, we need to fall in love with Jesus again. We need to 
come and look at the wonder of the cross, restore the joy of our salvation. Um, David, when he wrote Psalm 51, it's a psalm of repentance as he uh, was uh, found out by the prophet Nathan that he had uh, caught out about his adultery, and he confesses it. And one of the things he says in there, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, when we lose the joy of our salvation, when we take our focus of Jesus, and it's on stuff, it's on the building, it's on the church, it's on my job and everything else, bad things happen. Because we wander from the faith. And when we wander from the faith, the word says we pierce ourselves with many troubles. I haven't really got to my notes yet. We pierce ourselves with many troubles. And I want to tell you what happens when you're in a forest or when you're in a boat. I'll tell you one day a crazy story about a sailboat I bought. I'll never own a sailboat again. I nearly killed myself on it. But, getting back to the story here, when you're on a path in the forest, the clear path up, say, Mount Benson or something, and you see something over there that looks beautiful, and you wander off the course, and you don't have to go far in the wilderness to battle to find your way back to the path. And what happens with circumstances and what happens with life is it causes us to wander from the faith, to wander from the faith, for, to wander from the path that Jesus has for us. And God is constantly wooing us back, wooing us back. And I believe it's a time for us to come back to the radical edge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For ourselves, the joy of our salvation, to find the gratitude. You see, it doesn't matter how much stuff we have at the end of our lives. As some preachers said, when you go to a funeral, you never see a U-Haul truck. The stuff stays behind. It stays behind. And what is important in that time is our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we want to see this church and the city change, it's not going to be because we're going to have a beautiful new building out there, four times the size, brand new, that we pray God will fall with people, not so we can have the biggest church, but so we can have more impact through the church. But if we wander from those things that are true to God, from the plumb line of the word, when we wander and we start interpreting interpreting God's word our way. That word is eternal, God says. It's the eternal word of God. And when we start crossing out one scripture, we might as well tear up the whole book because we'll certainly find scriptures that don't fit us. And it's easy to twist them. And we wonder, well, it's easy. You see, either culture has sovereignty over the Word of God, or the Word of God has sovereignty over culture. It's as clear as that. And God knew this culture, and He came to save this culture. He came to set it free. He did not come to manage sin. He came to set, make dead people alive. 
dead in their sin and their transgressions. And that includes us, church. And it does it by grace. You see, there's another way that grace extends itself. And this is an amazing thing. And it's in the grace of giving. And the concept, we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Remember, God gave his all. And God expects us to be givers. If we have the life of Christ in us, we need to portray that. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. On his journey, he's been collecting an offering for the Jerusalem church. And on his way to Corinth, he writes a letter and encourages this church in Corinth from Philippi or somewhere there to, um, for a, to collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem that was in big trouble. The amazing thing when you read about this, two things happen. You'll see it's not about money, although he talks about it, but it's about grace and joy. You'll see that focus of this. And number one, when we speak about finances, we always track the negative. We never track the blessing of being generous. Oh, how much am I going to lose if I do this? How much if, if I do this? We, we track that. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where you are spiritually fed. So if it's not this church, it's your local church, wherever you are spiritually fed. If it is this church, this is your store. Tithe is 10%. And he says, test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates. See if I won't open the floodgates. It's the only place that God says to us, test him, because the word of God says where your treasure is, your heart is. And we can't open our hands. An amazing thing about a tithe, and church, you know that. We don't speak about finance much. If this is your first time, I bet you people in this church have not heard a sermon on finances, or if so, maybe one or two a year. See, it's not about us needing your money, because God is our supplier as a church. And God supplies our, our, the church's needs through the generous people. That we have. So it's a wonderful thing. So Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, Now, brothers, I want to, you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of most severe trial, listen to this, the extreme joy overflowing, the extreme overflowing joy and the extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Go and read that passage I don't, uh, for the sake of time. But I want to say this. What Paul is saying in this chapter about what we can do for the kingdom. You see, the thing people say it's people, uh, a lack of people that is hindering the kingdom going forward. I want to tell you it's a lack of finances. I can't tell you how many young people come to my office and I want to go, I want to go on an apostolic trip. I want to go to Africa. I want to do this. I want to do that for the kingdom. And most of them can't. And it's not their heart. It's not what they want to do. It's finances. And you see, 
It says in verse 2, Out of the most severe trial, the overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in generosity. So how can we explain this? I want to show you, because it gets back to grace. Paul calls this the grace of giving. They understood that because of God's saving grace, they as under undeserved sinners have been given much by God, including eternal life. So it was just them giving back in a way that God had given them. They understood God's sustaining bless that blesses and provides. And they also understood that God provides seed, and seed is for sowing, and bread is for eating. And we would see that in the next chapter, and I'm not going to read that now. But go and see these things, because we're coming into times where this world is being shaken. And if we are eating our seed, go and speak. Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter, don't eat your seed. Sow your seed. If I was a farmer and I had one bag of seed left and it was a month or two to the end of winter, I would do everything I could to preserve that seed so that I could sow it. Because I would know that there would be no harvest in the end. And I'm telling you, church, we are coming into times, and this is not um, trying to get your money. This is trying to speak Truth. Because in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, it says each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not under compulsion. So this is no compulsion. And I'll tell you something, and I I don't like speaking about this because there's so much wrong stuff out there. You know, if you want a prayer, send me this. And if you want that, send me this. I tell you, it makes me sick. To the stomach. But the truth is, God gives us seed. And we to sow seed. The problem is, us in the Western world have lived under such a grace bubble of prosperity. 80 to 90% of the people do not have running water in the world, it's billions. We're under this bubble of prosperity. And so God's giving us seed, and we think the seed's the blessing. We live so well. So we just gobble it up. But in the times to come, we're going to have to rely on the supernatural resources of God. It's not in fear. It's just the truth, because there's a time to sow, and there's a time to harvest. And God says, do not eat your seed. And so, this is not about Oceanside, but if this is your home, there's an obligation, not to me, to the Word of God. And it's interesting when you speak about tithing, and you you can see Abraham tithe before the covenant and all of that, before the law, and and, and, uh, before the, the law came. The, the conversation on giving always comes down to, often, not always, how little can I give? And not how much can I give? And that shows our hearts. 
And so for me, it's a challenge. It's not to only be generous with finances, but how much love can I give? How much grace can I extend? How much forgiveness? How much, how much, how much, how much? Because when we sow those seeds, there's an eternal reward, including when we sow our finances. Because if our finances paid for a missionary to go to India, and thousands of, of um, Indians, East Indians are saved, you get to heaven and think, geez, my job sucked. You know, and I was giving all this money, and, you know, I just hated my job and all of it. God says, come here. I want to show you. That money went to that man, sustained that man who saved those people, and it's accredited to your account. Yeah. All I said, he gave a few bucks. You see, it's spiritual. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be in the Bible. God wouldn't speak about it. So remember this God's saving grace. Guys, get set free from your past. There's God's sustaining grace. And sustaining grace we draw on. It doesn't fall out the fly. If we are not going to come to our Father daily, if we're not going to draw from Him, we will not have it. It's like having a beautiful river here, and it's in, I'm in a desert, and I refuse to go and drink from it. I'm sitting, I'm thirsty. Man, I've got nothing going for me. I'm so thirsty, God. Please help me. Now, I'm not going to drink that. Just supernaturally fill me with it. No. We go to the river and we drink. And we go to that daily with God. We come to the river that flows outside of the throne and it fills us, the Holy Spirit. And out of that, all of this flows. So some of us thinking, well, I haven't done this, I haven't done this. Forget about it. We all haven't done stuff. But come to God and say, God, search my heart, change my heart, so that we as a people can represent you well in the city and the nations that he sends us to. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. And I'm just going to, just because it's awkwardly silent, (laughs) I would love the worship team to come and then sing that song. We sang a song, it's a hill song on the scandal of grace. And just for us to be reminded as we go, If all you remember is the grace of giving, we've lost the point, eh? But if we understand how much God has given us, church, everything becomes easy. We make decisions to move or we make decisions to do things without consulting God. If God moves us, we go. If God tells us to stay in the land of famine, like Isaac, we stay. And he blesses us. Because the blessing is supernatural. It's not physical. And we need to learn how to tap into the supernatural resources of God. Like the widow with the mite, she had one little coin. Big Pharisee puts his bucks in and he's looking over and she says, just a little coin. Jesus said, she gave way more than you. She gave out of her need, and you gave out of your abundance. He's not looking for circle um, zeros on a check, how many zeros you can put. He's looking for your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we stand and sing this amazing song?